Hello. I am a robot. You are listening to Strength in Depth. A 200% podcast. Hello everybody, and welcome to Strength in Depth, a 200% podcast. This is a history of non-league football, from the time when all football was non-league to the present day, when the top end of the non-league game is practically indistinguishable from the lower reaches of the football league. This is a love story, the story of a part of the game which is kept alive by the dedication of those who will not see it die but it's also a story of corruption, greed and exclusion, and of clubs who lived hand-to-mouth lives without such luxuries as fat television contracts and exorbitant ticket prices to fall back upon. The 2004 reorganisation of the non-league game into the National League system was the final step in the process of bringing football below the league into a coherent shape that had been going on for decades. But as financial problems continued to mount, both for clubs in the Football League and below, we came to see some unexpected names in the Football Conference and below. This is a story of non-league football from 2004 to the present day. On the 14th of April 2006, Luton Town lost by two goals to one at home to Coventry City in the Football League Championship. It was a slightly disappointing result for the Hatters. The playoff places for a place in the Premier League were already beyond their reach, but this result nudged them down slightly to ninth place in the table. Few would have guessed at what would happen next. On the 15th of April 2009, A one-all draw away to Chesterfield relegated the club from the Football League for the first time in 89 years. Points deductions had done for Luton in the end. In April 2007, an FA inquiry found that the club had been making illegal payments to agents, and a week later they were relegated from the Championship. In November of the same year, they entered administration, and at the end of the 2007-08 season, they were relegated again, this time into League 2. Furthermore, the Football League imposed a 30-point deduction for the start of the following season, all but guaranteeing the club's relegation for a third season in a row. On the same day that Luton lost at home to Coventry City in 2006, Oxford United won a League 2 match at Barnet by two goals to nil. Their form hadn't been great and they drifted too close to the relegation places for comfort, but this was a win that eased those fears a little. This win, however, turned out to be a full storm. Oxford picked up just one point in their remaining four matches of the season, 
and were relegated alongside Rushton and Diamonds. By the first decade of this century, the fortunes of the Football Conference were inextricably linked to what happened in the divisions above them. Luton Town and Oxford United had both, just 20 years before their respective relegations, been top-flight clubs and both won the League Cup during the 1980s. That two different clubs could suffer the same fall from grace in less than two decades spoke volumes, not just for the increased fluidity between the Football League and the non-league game, but also of the increased financial basket casery of the lower divisions of the league during the first decade of this century. This toxicity bled down into the non-league game. Pursuit of places in the Football League had led to a majority of conference clubs being full-time by the time Luton Town were relegated. The idea of the conference being a spit-and-sawdust league made up of plucky non-leaguers was looking increasingly like a romantic myth. At the time of the formation of the Premier League in 1992, much had been made of how trickle-down economics would come to benefit the whole of the game rather than just the biggest clubs. By 2009, it was clear that the most significant phenomenon to have trickled down to the non-league game as a result of this growing disparity of income was hyper-wage inflation. Neither Oxford United or Luton Town found it easy to get back into the Football League either. It took Oxford four seasons to get promoted back, and it took Luton five. Luton Town are now back in the Championship, whilst Oxford United now play in League One. Not all clubs relegated from the Football League enjoyed similar fortunes though. York City, Stockport County and Torquay United all endured further relegations and spent time in the National League North and South respectively. York City remain there to this day. every club that was undergoing some degree of trauma though, another might have considered itself to be on the up. In 2004, the year of the introduction of the conference North and South, Canvey Island won the Isthmian League Premier Division title and secured themselves a place in the conference for the first time. When Jeff King took over as the owner of the club in 1992, Canvey were in the Essex Senior League. They were promoted from that league in 1994 and a further two automatic promotions followed before they were relegated back into the Isthmian League Division 3 in 1997. From here on though, Canvey's ascent was remarkable. They won two successive Isthmian League titles, taking them into the Premier Division, where they were runners-up for three successive seasons before getting into the conference exactly a decade after getting promoted from the Essex Senior League. This league success was mirrored in the Cups. In the 2001 season, they beat Port Vale away from home after a replay, before losing narrowly to Southend United. The following season, they beat Wigan Athletic and Northampton Town, before losing to Burnley in the third round. If anything, they did even better in the FA Trophy. In 2001, they beat Stevenage Borough, Telford United and Chester City, all of the conference, and then Forest Green Rovers in the final at Villa Park to lift the trophy. 
Three years later, they reached the final again, though this time they lost to Hensford Town. After two seasons of relative struggle in the conference, however, King pulled the plug and left the club altogether, ending his funding as he went. Crowds had never reached the levels he'd hoped they would, and in 2006, Canby Islands took voluntary demotion back to Division 1 North of the Isthmian League. Not all clubs who found themselves artificially enhanced by owners throwing money around saw negative consequences from it, though. Crawley Town had been bumping around the Southern League since the middle of the 1960s when they won the league title in 2004, and their form in the conference afterwards was fairly undistinguished too. Early in 2006, though, it became clear that the club was in serious financial difficulty. The fans started a red card campaign in order to remove undischarged bankrupt chairman Chaz Majid and his owner brother Aswar Majid from the club with fans waving red cards at the Majids and forming a supporters' trust. It was revealed that the club was around £1.1 million in debt, with nearly £400,000 due to HMRC, and the Majids themselves claimed they were owed £700,000 by the club. By July of that year, the debts were closer to £1.4 million, including money owed to current and former staff, and an offer of 25 pence in the pound for a CVA was rejected by creditors. With HMRC unwilling to move on its demand, and being the biggest creditor, the Majids were unable to vote on the matter despite being owed money, it looked unlikely that the club would be saved. By August 2006, only one bid had come in for Crawley Town, which was from the current owners. It was rejected by three to one. The administrators were therefore obliged to liquidate the club, and it was even announced that Crawley Town would fold later that day. However, a couple of days after this announcement, in one final attempt to rescue the club, the creditors met again to decide on a final offer. Creditors were split, and so the administrator voted in Crawley Town's favour, allowing them to start the new season. The creditors would meet 14 days later decided on an offer of 50 pence in the pound instead. The club was told that if the offer was rejected, then it would fold there and then. By September 2006, Crawley Town's debt was at £1.8 million, making former and current players and staff the biggest creditors, and giving hope that a rescue bid would be accepted. The offer of 50 pence in the pound was later accepted, and Crawley Town were able to continue playing for the time being, though this didn't stop HMRC from trying to wind up the SA Group, Majid's company, over unpaid taxes. Aswar Majid was later jailed for tax fraud relating to his various other businesses. Crawley were eventually saved, but in 2010 the club changed hands once again, Bruce Winfield announced that he and Susan Carter had become majority shareholders and had attracted new investment to Crawley Town, some of which came from overseas. The investment allowed manager Steve Evans to start rebuilding the squad, which saw 23 players signed over a six-month period, including Matt Tubbs for £70,000, Sergio Torres for £100,000 and Richard Brodie for an undisclosed fee which was estimated to be a new conference record of £275,000. 
Crawley sailed to the conference title in 2011, racking up 105 points in the process. But Winfield wasn't there to see it. He died from cancer in March 2011, shortly after Crawley had made national headlines by losing narrowly to Manchester United in the fifth round of the FA Cup at Old Trafford. Throughout the course of Crawley's cup run, the national press had been broadly ignorant of the reasons why the club was so unpopular with other non-league clubs. The financial doping was one thing, but another thing altogether was the decision of the club to hire Steve Evans as their manager in the first place. Evans had been involved in serious financial irregularities a decade earlier whilst the manager of Boston United. In July 2002, Boston were found guilty by an FA disciplinary committee of systematically lodging false contracts for players. Players were signing contracts that were worth a fraction of the value that they were being paid. In one case, Ken Charlery was recorded as being paid £120 a week when he was actually being paid £620 a week and had received the £16,000 signing on fee for the club against which no tax had been paid. In another, the former Liverpool defender Mike Marsh was contracted as being paid £100 a week when he was actually earning £1,000 a week. The difference was paid through expenses, against which no tax was payable. The club was fined £100,000 and docked four points for the following season, while Evans and the club's new owner at the time, Pat Malkinson, were both found guilty by the FA of having facilitated a payment of £8,000 to a witness to attempt to mislead, impede and frustrate the FA's inquiry into the scam. Malkinson was fined £5,250 and suspended from football for 13 months. Evans was fined £8,000 and suspended for football for 20 months. Evans may have been banned from football, but he wasn't out of work for long, taking a job working for a recruitment company owned by a Staffordshire businessman called John Sotnick. Sotnick was persuaded to put money into Boston United and Evans returned as the manager in February 2004. By this time though, the mere bands of the FA were the least of his concerns. A criminal investigation had been launched into the goings-on at Boston, and in September 2005, he and four other people connected with Boston United, including former chairman Pat Malkinson, were charged with committing fraud at the club between 1998 and 2002. Meanwhile on the pitch, Evans was earning himself a reputation for the levels of abuse that he threw around when decisions didn't go his way. In February 2006, for example, he was escorted from Grimsby Town's Blundell Park by police after verbally abusing a fourth official. After the match, Sotnik claimed with regard to the police's involvement during the match that there seems to be a conspiracy at work. At every game, Steve seems to be singled out for extra attention from the police, and I'm determined to get to the bottom of it. Sotnik resigned in June 2006 to take over as the chief executive of Darlington, and sold his shares to director Jim Rodwell for a nominal sum, 
Evans's trial, meanwhile, reached Southwark Court in September 2006. The court heard evidence regarding the contracts from Ken Charlery and the total amount that had been creamed off by the club through fraudulently failing to pay tax and national insurance contributions on the wages of Boston's players was confirmed at £245,188. While two of the other defendants were acquitted by the judge and one more had his case thrown out, Malkinson and Evans changed their pleas to guilty at the last minute. Malkinson was given a two-year prison sentence, suspended for two years, and was ordered to pay back the money that the club owed in tax plus just over £100,000 in interest. Evans received a one-year suspended prison sentence. The one common thread of the summing up of Evans' trial was how much sympathy many concerns seemed to have for him. His defence counsel, Jim Sturman QC, for example, stated that if your honour sends Steve Evans to prison today, he will lose his job again. It has already cost him £140,000 in legal fees, fines from the FA and loss of income. I ask for tempering justice with mercy. Is it worth sending Steve Evans to overcrowded prisons? He is terrified of spending one day in prison. There has been the stress and anxiety of over four years. He has not slept. His family has not slept. He is terrified. To the fury of Boston supporters, who had seen the name of their club dragged through the mud by the whole affair, Jim Rodwell announced that, I think Stephen has been working under incredibly difficult circumstances and it's been a struggle for him and kept him in his job. Evans resigned as his position as Boston's manager in May 2007. Shortly after, a by then financially crippled club was relegated from the Football League after a last day of the season defeat at Wrexham. Boston were demoted straight into the Blue Square North in June 2007 and then demoted again into the Premier Division of the Northern Premier League a year later. Small wonder then, that Evans should have provoked such ire from the supporters of other clubs. There's little evidence to indicate that he ever expressed any remorse for anything he did, other than at points when it suited him to personally do so. He retains a managerial position within the Football League to this day. In the 21st century, everybody has to have a hustle. And there were times in non-league football when the ambitions of people running clubs bordered on the bizarre. Horridge RMI had been a fairly run-of-the-mill non-league club before they started to get ambitious during the 1990s. In 1995, they changed their name to Lee RMI and moved to Hilton Park, seven miles from Horridge and the home of the Lee Rugby Football League Club. Lee won the Northern Premier League title and were promoted in 2000. But after a decent first season, in which they finished fifth, they found life to be a struggle in the conference on small crowds. In May 2008, the club was relegated and a month later, another name change was confirmed, this time to Lee Genesis, a name apparently inspired by the new beginning of another ground move this time to the new Lee Sports Village development that was also to be the new home of the Lee Rugby Football League Club. By October of that year though, the plan was starting to fall apart. 
Chairman Dominic Speakman, who'd been funding the club's substantial financial losses for a long time, resigned and left. The players and management team agreed to play on unpaid. Within a couple of years, though, the Lee Genesis dream was dead. The club had to leave Lee Sports Village in 2010 because they couldn't afford the rent. And after a further two relegations in three years, Lee Genesis confirmed that they would not be taking up a place in the Northwest Counties League. Somewhat surprisingly, though, Lee Genesis does still exist as a set of youth teams in a Sunday League team, currently playing in Division 2 of the South Lancashire Counties Football League. It seems unlikely that they'll be making a return to senior football any time soon, but with a range of youth teams they have a value as a football club and a place in their community. By 2007, the idea of fan ownership was a serious talking point within the non-league game, and this inevitably attracted grifters. Perhaps the best-known version of this was My Football Club. My FC was engineered by former football journalist Will Brooks. Brooks initially estimated My FC's purchase fund at £1.375 million if 50,000 people were to sign up as members. All members would have voting rights on certain decisions in the club purchased by My FC, and they would collectively manage that club by making many of the decisions usually made by managers and others through a voting system on the My Football Club website. The watershed figure of 50,000 registrations expressing interest in participation was passed on the 31st of July 2007 with a total of 53,051 registrations completed at that time. At that point, MyFC began collecting payments from those who had registered, as well as any new people who signed up subsequently, opening what My Football Club described as Phase 2. On the 13th of November 2007, My Football Club announced that it had reached agreement in principle to purchase Conference National Club Ebbsfleet United who changed their name from Gravesend and North Fleet a year earlier. The sale was completed the following January. All seemed to be going surprisingly well to start with. At the end of the 2007-08 season, Ebbsfleet won the FA Trophy at Wembley. It didn't take long though before the wheels started to fall off the wagon. Members voted not to select the team themselves, and by the start of 2010, the membership had dwindled to just 5,000 people. Ebbsfleet were relegated into the Conference South at the end of the 2009-10 season, though they were promoted straight back at the first attempt. By the time my football club members voted to sell the club in early 2013, membership numbers had dropped to 1,000, and fans were protesting against its continuing involvement, as the club stood on the verge of administration. A later attempt to repeat this, called Owner FC, started at the beginning of 2019, but failed by March of that year, following a failed attempt to buy Northern Premier League club Hensford Town. The key message of the last 10 years of conference football, the league renamed itself as the National League in 2015, 
has been that status continues to talk. Of the 20 clubs promoted since 2010, nine were long-standing Football League members relegated from the bottom division. Four, Crawley Town, Fleetwood Town, Salford City and Forest Green Rovers received enormous amounts of money from their owners, while two, AFC Wimbledon and Newport County, are reformed versions of Football League clubs. Three, Cheltenham Town, Macclesfield Town and Barnet would be traditionally considered non-league clubs and have bounced between League 2 and the National League. The 2019-20 promoted teams, Barrow and Harrogate Town, are something approaching outliers in this respect, and Barrow were members of the Football League until 1972. In March 2020, the non-league game closed down. It wasn't as though anybody had any choice in the matter. The Covid-19 outbreak meant a cessation of normality which no amount of passion for football could circumvent. Some leagues simply annulled the season. Others calculated promotion and relegation differently. Some clubs were left unhappy, but there was probably no way in which the season could have been completed without someone feeling hard done by. For the start of the 2021 season, the non-league game started to come to life under very different circumstances to any seen before. At step three and below, in front of severely restricted crowds, 15% of the lowest allowable capacity for any specific decision. And the FA Cup began with matches being played on midweek evenings on account of the forthcoming fixture pile-up. The top two tiers of the non-league game, however, had to start behind closed doors and ended up needing a financial bailout. The second lockdown resulted in the suspension of all football below the National League's North and South. There has been apocalyptic talk of what might happen to clubs and these fears remain valid. Non-league football clubs, certainly those below the three divisions of the National League, rely heavily on match day income through gate receipts and season ticket sales from food and drink sales and raffle tickets. Playing non-league football under Covid conditions certainly isn't going to become cheaper under the current circumstances and contracts will still have to be honoured with players and managers. We still don't know what the ultimate fallout from all of this will be, but it hasn't yet been quite as bad as some had feared. Non-league football has survived because so long as there is a piece of grass and people who will play football on it, other people will turn up to watch. There remains a strata of the football watching public that prefers the company of hundreds rather than tens of thousands, who welcome the freedom to wander around, to change ends at half-time, to drink alcohol in full view of the pitch, and to be part of something that's less important. The National League is less and less like that now. A majority of its clubs are fully professional, and many of the facilities are on a par with the divisions above. 
Some have even argued that non-league football as we understand it really begins with the National League North and the National League South. There are certainly clubs currently in the National League who have the facilities of League One clubs, or perhaps even higher. The difference between League and non-League remains in place at this level as a hangover from the past. There was a time when being demoted from the Football League had serious ramifications. New Brighton, Bradford Park Avenue, Gateshead and Accrington Stanley all folded in the years following their relegation from the Football League. This has continued into this century to an extent, at Darlington, Hereford United, Halifax Town and more. But it's certainly no longer the case that relegation from the Football League is necessarily a death sentence. Psychologically though, being in that top 92 matters to football supporters. It remains where many draw the line. But an increasing number do consider that the spirit of non-league football begins lower than Division 5. And though money talks, care and attention to fine detail can get you a long way too. Accrington Stanley were a figure of failure into the 1980s. But that club reformed in 1968 and slowly built its way up through the non-league game, through the Lancashire Combination and the two divisions of the Cheshire League, to become founder members of the North West Counties League in 1982. They stayed there until 1987, when they joined the first division of the Northern Premier League. Four years later, they were promoted again into the Premier Division. The club suffered its only setback with relegation in 1999, but this was followed by promotion straight back the following year. Accrington stayed in the Northern Premier League's Premier Division before getting promoted again, this time with 100 points, and they didn't hang around for long in the conference, getting promoted into the Football League after three seasons, in 2006. They are currently a well-run club in League One, constantly fighting an uphill battle, but currently both on an even keel and, as of the 2018-19 season, competitive on the pitch. The non-league game will survive, because of course it will. What we fret about are our clubs, and rightfully so. Any one of them could fall prone to, at any time, whilst a veneer of regulation has been brought into the matter of club spending, there's any number of scenarios that could reduce just about any club from looking reasonably healthy to a smoking crater within a couple of years. But most non-league clubs have already survived for a long time. Harrogate Town, for example, have been welcomed into the Football League like an exhibit from a travelling freak show, but they've been existent since 1906. Sheffield and Hallam, commonly assented to be the oldest football clubs on the planet, continue playing non-league football to this day. And it's worth remembering how many non-league clubs there are. The Alliance Premier League founded in 1979 with 20 clubs. The National League now has 66, spread across three divisions. In 1963, the Isthmian League had 16 clubs. It has 82 now. There are hundreds of clubs, and if anything, the number of football clubs that do survive every season on next to no money might even be considered something approaching miraculous. This, however, is of no consequence to the few that do lose their clubs when everything goes wrong, 
and questions should continue to be asked whenever a club which might have been in business for more than a 100 years suddenly becomes somehow untenable. Just because there are a lot of non-league football clubs doesn't mean that any of them should be considered expendable. In recent years, many non-league clubs have increased their activities in their communities, something which has been helped by their ability to install the latest generation of artificial pitches. They're not universally popular, but surely even those of us who prefer natural playing surface can understand what their benefits bring to a club. If anything, such innovation is woven into the DNA of non-league football, because the non-league football club's first aim has to be to survive. It's no great surprise that three points for a win, shirt sponsorship and league sponsorship all started below the Football League. Similarly, it's no great surprise that no offside from free kicks, two points for a home win and three points for an away win didn't work, because in the rush to innovate, bad ideas can be almost as prevalent as good ideas. In the first place, it was the professionals versus the amateurs. As the amateurs faded from relevance, league versus non-league stepped into its place, and over the course of a century and a half, the game in this country coalesced into a league system which means that yes, you can start on a park pitch at the very bottom of the ladder, and if your team wins and keeps on winning, you will get promoted, and you could make it all the way to the Premier League if it just keeps happening subject to ground grading regulations, of course.